Hello, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am your host, Rowan Kaiser. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about a game called Star Renegades, which is a sort of tactical roguelike type of thing. We have a distinguished panel of guests, unlike our normal panels. Uh, from Fanbyte, we have managing editor Steven Strom. Hello, thank you for having me back. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. What was the last time? Uh, I think it was that zombie game, that State of Decay 2. That's oh, what right, it's right. Yes. Which is still putting out updates. So good for them, I guess. And they've got a third game coming out, which just still seems so weird to my brain. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, from Waypoint Radio, we have Kato. Hi, how's it going? I think we're all doing okay. I'm very good. Yeah. I'm uh, <laughs> we're recording on a weekend and I'm not used to recording podcasts on weekends. So my entire energy is just like completely um, off right now. It's, yeah, it's the dreaded, you know, calm before the storm of the week. Yeah, totally yes. right. Uh, especially, especially entering into a new week. month. Yeah. yeah. This week there might be some things happening. What? Mm. Uh, things? Oh, like new console. No, no, that's two yeah. weeks from now. Rowan, don't worry about it. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I actually just... I've actually just finally gotten out of my garden after the entire spring and fall. Is there something going on? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they delayed Halo. Uh, Microsoft bought uh, the Elder Scrolls franchise. They bought Bethesda is what they bought. Uh, that's kind of it. Those are the only things. Okay. Cyberpunk got delayed, too. Oh, yeah, they did. Lots of delays. Yeah. Again. Yeah, again, <laughs> again. again. Because this is like the fourth time, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. I straight up belly laughed at the poster in a GameStop window for the cyberpunk release date just last night. <laughs> um, it was, it felt right. very good. All right. And uh freelance writer, John Bolding, who has already made his presence known as I am want to do. Yes. Hello. All right. So yes, today we are discussing a star renegades, uh, published by raw fury and, um, developed by, Massive Damage, Inc., by the looks of it. Massive Damage, yes. Uh, today we are talking about Star Renegades, published by Raw Fury and developed by Massive Damage, Inc. Uh, John, you have been playing a lot in the past week or so, uh, trying to catch up for the show. What uh, what kind of game is Star Renegades? Star Renegades is a rogue light, is that what we're calling these now? RPG so it's a game that's meant to be played and won or lost over and over. Um, and it's a sort of uniquely strategic and intensely tactical game. Not in that it involves uh, sort of the traditional hallmarks of a tactics game. In fact, calling it a tactics game isn't quite right. It's just very tactical because you yes. have to make these very specific decisions round to round in the game about how to win and it's uh it's got the dimension jumping uh plot line from into the breach where there is a vast and dangerous interdimensional force that is attacking all these various timelines at once and you are moving from one to another spreading the word and defending against it each time it rears its uh multi roboted head <laughs> yes Multi-roboted, organ harvesting, um, sort of meme spouting, I would say, oftentimes in terms of the writing kind of head. Yeah. Yeah. Basically um, the worst of all worlds. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> this is what we're fighting against, everyone. Um, you mentioned Into the Breach, and that's 
uh, a game we will come back to when talking about the tactics, but I think one of the most interesting things about Star Renegades is that it's all those games that like you've been playing over the past few years that are like, oh, this is a really neat system. I wish, wish other games had that. This game has those systems. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, like well, the thing that made me sit up and take notice was uh, it has Fire Emblem's baby making uh, uh, system. Uh, you're not actually making the babies in here, but when you get your your people to make enough friendship over the course of their their little adventure, you unlock new characters who are not necessarily, although occasionally they are implied to be the children of the previous characters. But uh, yeah, that's how you unlock new characters is by make, having them make friends with one another. And it's like, that's that's a system that is really appealing. Um, totally. Even if uh, it's not heteronormative in this one, it is in Fire Emblem. But yeah, there are a few others if, if you all have some favorites. Uh, I think I don't know if it's a, I would call its implementation here as a favorite, but it is definitely a thing that I've only seen in like one or two other games, despite the fact that everybody kind of described it as the system that was going to be stolen by every game, <laughs> which is that this has a nemesis system in it, uh, more or less. And uh, you get to see that between worlds. Uh, the game is split up into four chunks, four planets that you move between. And every time you do the nemesis system, kind of this board of uh, units kind of moves around and gets promoted or demoted. And if you get killed in one timeline, the the enemies are also dimension hopping. So they get to keep their progression. If they beat you in one timeline, they get promoted for doing so. Uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that one is definitely a thing that feels like it could have been implemented stronger totally. uh yeah um and i think maybe we can switch over to that but the other one that uh is fairly clear is that it has the camping system from darkest dungeon <laughs> where you uh you know every every so often in the game you uh sit down and hang out with your buddies and try to buff them up with friendship or heal them or whatever options you have via system of cards it's pretty much directly dark ascension except without having the stress system that kind of ties that together but this one has the friendship system that i think uh really helps it feel like its own thing even though it really is just the darkest dungeon system yeah, yeah even it, visually it's also very much uh moon hunters some people may recognize it from moon hunters as well oh, oh. moon hunters i'm not sure if i know that one it's an odd little story driven roguelike action game okay yeah, it's it is one of those systems that definitely feels like um, I think we're also I mean, Rowan, you and I have talked about this. We've uh, definitely seen a kind of a rise. And I think that was one of the things that prompted this episode discussion of deterministic combat. Mostly, I at least my theory is inspired by Into the Breach. But I think we've also kind of started to see a lot of uh, games taking cues from Darkest Dungeon uh, just in time for Darkest yes. Dungeon 2 to get delayed uh, finally officially. Um, and uh, between this and like uh, there was another game called Aria Chronicle from a few uh, months back that I liked quite a bit uh, or missed over, which is a game I think you like as well, Rowan. Um, it is I, it's cool a game I wish I liked. It was a but game the, you wish you liked. OK, this is that's a that's the thing that I've noticed is that like. A lot of games have tried to do the darkest dungeon thing mm -hmm. and every one of them seems to be missing something. And at a certain level, there's a part of me that just wonders, like, are they just missing the narrator? Are they <laughs> just missing that like <laughs> one piece of um, aesthetic, like 
uh, glue to tie everything together. Uh, because like Mistover is like, yeah, this has all the things that I think that I like, but I just find it super easy to put down. And then most of the other little Darkest Dungeon wannabes just seem to not quite have that, uh, that mix quite right. Right. And Star Renegades, I don't think is actually that Darkest Dungeon-like, even though aesthetically, like, it just kind of, that's sort of the easiest way to introduce it, in a sense. Totally. But uh, I think a lot of the systems are uh, going in different directions. But if I had to say, what is a game that seemed to be at least partially inspired by Darkest Dungeon, that is actually the most successful one that I would want to replay, it's probably this one. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I would I would pick this up over. I mean, I have picked this up probably more than Mistover or even Aria Chronicle. Um, And I think one of the things, especially since having just come off of Aria Chronicle a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that I think this game does right that I definitely noticed was lacking in some of the other Darkest Dungeon clones or, you know, not that this game is a clone necessarily, but. One thing that I think this game does really well that Darkest Dungeon also does well is a really good attention to detail and presentation. Um, Yes. Like when an enemy hits an enemy, it's very easy for turn based games where you're not directly controlling like the fist that is coming into contact with somebody's face. It is very easy to not feel much impact or much weight behind those hits. And this game does a very good job of like the camera zooms in on the moment and like uh, this blade comes swiping up from the ground and there's smoke and an explosion. There's a little bit of camera shake, despite the fact that it is a 2D sort of pixel art game. uh, It does have a really good sense of momentum behind everybody's movement and all that sort of thing um, that I think this game does very well and is one of the reasons that it is very easy to continue playing it, even though I don't know that I love it top to bottom all the time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, it has a sense of cinematography, right? Mm. Like how a camera should move and how the how to direct the uh, player's view that a lot of turn based games really lack. Mm-hmm. Like it does. It doesn't have the, the problem sort of like the dead early Final Fantasy combat or the problem of like a lot of war games where that there's just nothing happening. Right. There's always, I mean, that's actually ties back into maybe some of the things I don't love about the game is like, there is always something happening in Star Renegades. <laughs> there's stuff happening in the background. There's stuff happening on, under the hood of the like math in the game. There's stuff happening between battles. There's stuff happening during battles. Uh, and there is so much happening all the time because this game is dense. Uh, the way I keep thinking about it in my head yeah. is it often feels uh, a mile deep and an inch wide in a lot of ways, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, um, there's a lot of kind of layered systems. Once we really get into the combat, we can maybe flesh some of those out. But it's like, you know, not only um, damage and time, but like buffs and debuffs that kind of can stack in weird ways and aren't always the easiest to suss out mm-hmm. from a, a glance at the screen. Totally. And even like some of the buffs, it'll be like and I think this comes down partially to a thing that they have done a lot of work on post release, which it still kind of boggles my mind that this game is not in early access. And as far as I know, never was in early access. If nope. I don't know if I'm wrong about that. It's just an actual video game release in the just year of a, our Lord 2020. <laughs> right. Which is just I don't know. It just uh, it, I, maybe it said something about the business of video games that that seems weird to me at this point. Um, that this indie pixel art kind of tactics roguelike came out and it was not in early access. (laughs) 
Um, but they do have a roadmap where they have shown like, hey, we're going to be adding more uh, more renegades, as the game likes to call them, uh, more user uh, interface. I couldn't decide if I want to say user interface or user experience, but I think both are important to the game's uh, update schedule. They've definitely like talked up quality of life issues. The fact that they mention quality of life issues multiple times in their roadmap for the game, I think, says a lot about the state of the game as it is now, personally. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that. Like, uh, just just a moment to moment, like just Kato, it sounded like you kind of had some ideas about like, yeah, having difficulty keeping track of how many buffs and debuffs and damage types and weaknesses and strengths and stuff are going yeah. on. Especially because at times it will show certain information, but it isn't always complete. I've come to find like it mm-hmm. tries to show you like, oh, if you take this action, that's how much damage will be dealt. And then also here's how much damage you're taking over the turn. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've found uh, certain combinations of things where like it doesn't track everything when it's showing you those. It's not tracking its own like other systems. Buffs and debuffs. And, yeah. Yeah. Like things like and like even damage types or like damage over time. It's like not showing it's not showing you that those things. So there have been turns where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll survive with like a sliver of health. It'll be fine. And then like like a, you know, a damage over time ticks that I didn't happened to remember was there and like that person's down and it's really annoying Uh, right Um, yeah it's it's very much kind of in the in the edges though because i don't feel like i'm in that situation a lot i try to like my best to like not get hit the game is is (laughs) right you know like because i don't um, think i don't think we've described at this point but combat is deterministic in theory you can know everything that's going to happen in a round you already know what movements and attacks much like in into the breach your opponents are going to make in any given round and a lot of the strategy in the game is building an effective party that can knock around your opponent's actions during the 60 second time span of a round in order to prevent them from acting at all yeah keep going Uh, to be to to be clear the 60 seconds is like a conceptual 60 seconds and this is not like a real-time turn-based hybrid right there's just a track across the top of the screen Yes, the the turns uh, are supposedly 60 seconds and you have actions that delay enemies by certain seconds or that take a certain number of seconds to prepare. Um, Yeah, we're 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 going all in on this and that's fine. We can we can swing back to some of the (laughs) some of the other things. Uh, Yeah, this is uh, this really interesting idea that I think is expanded throughout tactics and like Western made JRPG style games. Mm. Um where you know what enemies are doing and the complexity comes from like, all right, how do we maneuver around this? Right. Mm. And uh yeah, you all were were talking about some of these. So if you could totally if you want to describe a turn, uh that uh I think that might be the best way to get people who haven't played it to understand why this game is actually so special and tactical despite not involving like movement, which is usually what we think of when we think of tactics. Right. I was going to mention specifically when we brought up how it's deterministic the way that Into the Breach is, is that there's a very kind of important distinction between those two things is that Into the Breach has many less systems on top of that that makes it infinitely more readable to me. Um, And that's just kind of like a personal gripe of like, I have to do a lot of uh, math kind of like and a little bit more digging into exactly what the enemy stuff is happening. But um, as far as a turn goes, um, I think the first thing that happens right is the enemy's um kind of early attacks 
which is this is them doing something that's special powers usually that happened before the timeline even starts. Um, and then you see them kind of line up, the rest of them line up on the timeline with whatever attacks they're going to do. You can kind of see uh, when in the turn they're going to attack and how many, um, I forget exactly what that number is called, but how many times you can knock them back this turn. Is it just called stagger? Yeah, like stagger points or something. Something like yeah. that. Um, and then essentially you have your chance to tell, you know, set up your, your turn, set up what your, uh, you know, units are doing, um, which varying attacks all have different, uh, effects and all of them have kind of two, um, two versions, uh, a regular hit that can happen at any point after an enemy's already attacked you or a crit attack, which happens when you hit an enemy before they've attacked. Yeah. Um, usually most time based, uh, all of the things that will knock people back are in that crit space. So like you have to hit a crit in order to knock someone back normally. Um, and yeah, so there are a couple yeah, like special kind of moves and things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So- and then there are some, you also get a chance. Some of your, uh, uh, characters will have also a turns that kind of, uh, shoot off before the round kind of kicks into actual, uh, you know, onto the timeline. Yeah, so so an average an average turn will often involve okay, I'm going to go to my fastest uh renegade who's often the uh, Han Solo wannabe. Yeah. And well, uh, that dude is Star- that dude is Star-Lord. Yeah. Star-Lord. I was going to say uh, <laughs> he's got the element guns, he's got the coat. It's that is Star that is like fake Star-Lord, which that is the the tone often we can come back to that later, but that yeah. is often the tone of this game is just very like irreverent and goofy in a way that i'm not in love with but yeah totally like if if you can imagine that you can imagine the characters yeah so he's got a uh, a really fast move that hits enemies for like 45 seconds so you go and find what enemy is probably going to for whatever reason you want to have knocked out first have him do that then you'd look at your other characters and you're like all right i want to like load up on damage on this one enemy so i'll have you know my super punchy character hit him with her heavy attack or you know you're trying to go find the light attacks that knock enemies back a whole bunch uh just to make sure you don't get hit and uh it becomes a kind of rhythmic thing of understanding exactly what your characters can do and seeing what the enemies are trying to do and like figuring out if you have to take like a, a risk, uh, whether that's a risk that you can survive or just are you trying to play it safe here that and just stop the enemies from attacking or are you actually trying to load up on damage do you need to like buff up your armor piercing or your shield piercing attacks whatever like those are kind of added questions on it but it's usually like i see the little timeline at the top and then i figure out how to knock enemies off that timeline yeah uh but you can only do it so much because once they've run out of stagger points, like you need to basically they get to take a turn before like they like recharge on those number of hits that you are allowed to hit them back yes. on the timeline again. Right. There's yeah, none so of that sort of into the breach, like play baseball with an enemy around the map to ensure that they never get to do anything. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. They will eventually so- do something. And a small thing that I didn't realize until very late is that even once you knock them off the timeline, 
additional time damage still moves them and yep. takes that number down even though it doesn't with, surface that information which is one of my chief like uh yeah. ui complaints about this game i had it's no just idea like, i think i have next turn i think i hit this person and they still have two ticks left so i should still be able to delay them again for another turn probably then it comes back around and they're at zero yeah um, because you used an aoe attack that uh-huh. it was just wasted you know it just completely yeah. wasted all those stagger mo- moves but you never got to see that because the game doesn't surface the information on on the yeah. timeline so one of the things that when you talk about how uh, how this game can be difficult to read is that like a lot of it i feel comes down to understanding your party's capabilities and just kind of instinctively is a strong word, but just kind of uh, through the practice of having used this party and slowly developed them, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, this is a situation where I need to use my light attack, or this is a situation where I need to use my poison attack or whatever. Um, And like coming back to a save game, even after a day when you're later in the game can be a bit of a mess. I had one that was on like the third planet that I had been playing Hades for three weeks and I came back to refresh myself before this show. Literally the same thing here. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And I was like, what on earth is happening? And just basically let a battle take me out because, yeah, I had (laughs) I could not parse like how my party was working again. So right, yeah. like my guys all about like doing plasma damage. Cause there's like eight on top of everything we've said so far, there's like eight different damage types and different enemies are weaker to some and more resistant to others. And then on top of the elemental damage types, there's also light, medium and heavy attacks. And then, um, Don't some enemies flurry and AOE attacks, flurry and AOE attacks. How could I forget? Of course. Uh huh. <laughs> and those aren't like the information of like who is weak to what and strong against what and what, what being strong or weak against isn't just on the screen at all times. You have to go over to an enemy or you have to hold down the if you're using a tr- controller like me, you hold down right trigger and then mouse over to that specific enemy and then hit another left trigger once they're like in there to get three menus deep to find out exactly what this all means unless you've memorized exactly what plasma damage does or whatever. And yeah, it's 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 cool that those options are available and those are things that you have to think about. But the game is just so slathered in different things already that adding those things especially when you get into again like rowan was just saying like pl- uh, planet three onwards is just mm-hmm. like a complete fucking shit show and like, oh sorry can i swear on this one? Oh yeah okay <laughs> sorry fuck, i didn't know yeah. <laughs> fuck, fuck the fuck yes <laughs> um right. but yeah it becomes a it could becomes a massive shit show especially once you get to planet three and onwards we haven't even mentioned that there's like uh what's it called uh uh different um lines i my brain is breaking right now you can have like a front line formations yes there's a front line and a back line you can't attack the back line unless you have a special attack like the etrian odyssey thing yeah yeah until you've cleared the front line uh yeah this just has on systems on systems on i was a i was a huge fan of that in this game as an aside and i think that's where a lot of the most interesting strategic decisions got made is like who's in my party and where have i chosen to place them Mm. as as a character mm-hmm. because like there there's some characters there's like the aegis who has laser shields and obviously goes in the front right oh, but she's then great there's, she's great and you can't really win without her um, nope <laughs> yeah i can't anyway she's not optional i've never tried i i literally also had never tried to win without the aegis if, if it's an option i just went for it. anyways uh, 
And then you've also got interesting. You've got like a sniper character, right? Obviously goes in the path. The healing empath character obviously goes in the back. But then you've got interesting characters like you've got the commando who can. You know, they're not that they're not that tough, but the commando gets to counterattack no matter what the commando did that turn. So like, well, that's kind of interesting and useful for a frontline character. There's a lot of really strategic choices that can be made and you can get items to shore up weaknesses in certain characters like yeah the the commando doesn't have that high of a shield count but hey i've got this cool legendary shield item so now the commando's got as many shields as the aegis totally there's a lot of there's a there's a lot to dig into in this game and if you're the kind of person who likes to really dig into complex systems this game is a feast yeah Yeah, for sure um, and it's it's less that the systems are like individually like impossible to look at and more how they interact, which I think is a lot more interesting. Mm. Like I, I'm not I'm not like going in and dealing with like these minuscule percentages somewhere. It's that you have like six different things combining in usually interesting, sometimes difficult to read, but usually interesting ways. And I think that's that's what makes this game that's a positive in the terms of this game's complexity most of the time, as opposed to, I have no idea what the fuck is going on, which, you know, some of these, uh, you know, war games are really dense tactical games we come across and we don't exactly know why. Right. Uh, totally. Things are happening where in this game, you can figure out why things are happening. Usually just, it might be too late. Right. And there's a healthy number <laughs> of things that you can ignore unless you're using them to your advantage, like the damage types, they're not vital to understand. You might care about them if you're like, oh, I've got a bunch of enemies that are very weak to this coming up. But you can sort of get away with just being like, yeah, cool damage types. That's a sweet bonus that I get sometimes. Well, this goes back to uh, the presentation of the game, which we talked about a little bit and I think was uh there's a lot more to talk about. This game is really shiny. Oh, yeah. It's Mm -hmm. got this kind of. Yes, it's got this kind of pastel, neon, 80s, pastiche vibe to it. Uh, the music is uh, sort of chip tunes along those lines. The pixel art is fantastic. Yeah. I cannot it uh, looks I like... cannot speak highly enough about it, especially the animation. Like you see the, the Aegis's hair blowing in the wind and it's amazing. It looks to me the way I described it when the game first came out was very much um, high sci-fi Octopath Traveler. Um, mm. with that what is that term for tilt shifted is that what it is where the backgrounds yeah. like kind of move at a slightly different uh, speed yeah. than the front foregrounds it's yeah totally uh, I do think that if you're even picturing Octopath Traveler in your head though there's something different about here where the, the background detail is a lot higher it's not oh, like yeah. these pixel characters and then the pixel world kind of match it almost feels like especially when you're walking around the map the, the backgrounds are generally more detailed and they're really beautiful and kind of um amazing and very like filled with narrative a lot of times yeah. just like kind of like all these like ruined uh cities and weird creatures and plants and also just robots it's just the titans are everywhere and i want to know more about them totally uh, <laughs> there, there is i'm looking at the store page for the game right now and it's because it's got a screenshot of like one of my favorite stages which i think is the first boss fight that you always do um mm-hmm. and it's uh on a big like techno bridge 
with a uh, big giant like sort of ed 209 looking mech shooting at your team but in the background there is a big giant like it looks like a marvel celestial um, yeah. with one hand like gripping the side of the yep. bridge and water is pouring out of its eye socket like tears and there's a big purple tree growing out of its shoulder and it's just the best thing this game has it's so good <laughs> it's so good yeah it absolutely is there's it's funny that you say marvel celestials because that that just hit me really hard because it's so true that this this is that Marvel cosmic yeah. from the early 2000s era right. aesthetic, right? It's this sort of like gritty, cool robots and guns and power suits yeah. set against the backdrop of these absolutely bizarre and wild Jack Kirby 70s space gods. Yeah, <laughs> this is a this is like the video game of Annihilation, the, the not the movie Annihilation or the book Annihilation, but the <laughs> the uh, Marvel Comics event Annihilation. It, it's a lot like that in a lot of ways, which which Steven and I have uh, long discussed as one of their like top three crossovers. <laughs> totally. One hundred percent. Damn. No, I love the way the lo- game looks uh, a lot of time. I don't love the way that the game squanders is too strong of a word but it's the one that comes to mind um squanders some of that like mystique and like majesty with like a bunch of writing that feels like it is shooting for a kind of rick and morty-esque irreverent sort of meme like oh every there's murder like every time you die in this game uh for instance uh there is a part where you get to go hang out at a bar and you get a news report where they, they kind of make a, a little quip like a little joke about like oh well the galaxy's about to have everybody's organs are about to be harvested and we're all going to be made slaves but uh now on to the weather and it's like okay guys like this joke just does not work and the thing that you've set up here is so much better than the thing that you wrote around it in a lot of ways that it it just really bums me out anytime a character speaks there's lots of like uh talk about uh, railing against or having worked for different mega core, but it's all, it's never, it never wants to actually like talk about or like think about that. No, seriously. It's always like a joke about like, mega corps suck. Uh, but also I, whatever you gotta get paid uh-huh. or stuff like that. Right. Like it always undercuts the idea of like, uh, you know, a series of rebels fighting against some sort of Imperium Imperial force. Right. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it has a few chips of of better writing in there, right? Like, yeah. there are some good jokes, but it's the badness of the bad jokes that shines through in the end, which is really too yeah. bad. Right. Uh, I, I, think I don't the, think I would the go stuff as... between the characters can shine through sometimes. Like the the actual like lines that they have when you when you rank their uh, rank up their relationships. Um, there's a good one between like your Star Lord character and your like lady in the power armor who is basically armor from the X Men. Um, who uh, they talk about how like he grew up on a planet that was like a, like an actual like garbage dump planet where all the other planets of the galaxy like just dump their trash and she's like oh yeah and he's like so anyway where did you grow up and she's like uh in a mansion uh sorry <laughs> like she's just like apologetic about the fact that like he just bared his soul about like his bad situation or whatever and her honest answer is that like she kind of benefited from the shitty sort of um social stratification that they live in yeah yeah i i think that i wouldn't go quite as far as you all as saying the writing doesn't really work 
in that way. Like I think most of the time it, it's the, the jokes tended to not like make me go out of the game. Mm. Uh, I do think probably some of it could have been more and better. And it does definitely gets repetitious, which like, you know, for those of us who have uh, gone on to play Hades and see how responsive that game is, where every single thing you do in that game has like 20 lines of dialogue being like, yeah, I see that you did that. I know what you're doing. <laughs> and I am prepared to talk to you about what you're doing. And that is so cool. And like, this is a game, Star Renegades is a game that like feels really responsive especially in terms of like the animations and the sounds and the cinematography that John was talking about. Uh, but the writing does not seem responsive. And then you go to Hades and like everything is responsive. It's like, right, I yeah. don't, I don't even know how to, how to it's, compare literally any game to that afterwards, which is a bit right. unfair, yeah. but yeah. Hades when casts you such a long shadow. I'll, I'll when admit. you have like these games came out like within a week of one another, um, as did Splunky too. So roguelike <laughs> well, fans have- could, Hades did have the uh, the extra time in early access that I feel like probably helped yeah. it. Kind of a crew. Yeah, Hades. So kind of massive amount of dialogue. Yeah. yeah. That, that open development process for two years and having all your voice uh-huh. actors available in-house really yeah. lets you record right. a lot of dialogue. Yeah, um, well, I mean, Star Renegades doesn't even have voice actors, so right. they're, no. they're... It does not. That's just... That's just a thing where it feels like they the writing does not quite have the level of attention and polish uh, just because like, you know, you're, you're walking in through one of their planets and the characters have a wacky line about how like everyone on the planet loves wheat or whatever. And mm. it's funny the first time you see it, but then like every character who's even vaguely sarcastic uses that line every yep. time you do that planet, right? which is, you know. It would be neat if they all had a sarcastic line about wheat, if you're going to go with that tone. But if you're not doing that, then it just kind of jumps out as, all right, here's that same joke again. There was in the, I played about 90 minutes of it right before this, just to kind of refresh myself again. And I got to a part where, you know, know, I was in one of the little zones that you walk between and there's a line about like licking magic mushrooms. And it's like, okay, that's sure, whatever. And then I went over and clicked on the next like little question mark thing like that says, hey, there's going to be some fun dialogue here. And it was the exact same dialogue exchange about the magic mushrooms between the exact Uh same two characters in the exact same zone, uh, less than five seconds apart from one another. Like the game just does not have any kind of density in that way in that. And I think some of that even shows through in some of the gameplay, too, because it's not like. This is not a game where like Hades again, where every run you're like, oh, this is I'm going to create a completely different build around my thing. Um, John, you you mentioned shoring up weaknesses and stuff like that. And I think that's a place where it shines. But other than that, um, your characters level up down the exact same progression path every single run. They get the exact same abilities. They get the exact same cards uh, that they can use in camp. Or do they? Well, yeah. okay, fair enough. Okay, what what are we talking about here? Because once your uh, once your characters get to know each other and you start seeing those alternates oh, yes. pop up, you do get in addition to the sort of unique unlockable child classes. There are alternate alternate reality versions of some characters around that have uh, get those abilities in a different order or don't get a certain ability and get something different instead. And that's really weird and interesting. That's I that really cool. you. You've gotten how, way further than I have. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how, long, how long have we all been playing this game? Because I'm very curious about when does that even start showing up? Rowan, you've got to know. 
immediately upon playing this game, when I noticed that the characters could kiss, I made them kiss. <laughs> yes. Okay. The kiss, the kissing part I know about, but I think it's that you, you actually beat the game and I'm still working on that part. Yeah. Right. I did. I feel like I got super, I mean, I, it's one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, okay. I, the RNG was with me and I got kind of lucky. My second run through the game, I beat it. Um, what? So, wow. <laughs> what? I know. I don't know. Excuse it just sort of worked me? out. I just felt really uh, good about it. I had, damn. I had a pretty lady with laser shields and it just kind of went all the way for me. Yeah, she does rule. I she's, can't deny she's that. She's awesome. I've uh, also not beaten this game, but I, I read a little bit about what you were talking about, like prior to this, like back weeks ago when it came out, just to kind of wonder what the the overarching game was going to be like, what the what the uh, macro uh, end game. That's the word I'm looking for. What that was going to look like. Mm-hmm. It's super cool. It's like a sort of elaborate metagame. There's a great narrative twist when you beat the game for the first time that I found so satisfying because I, I figured I would. I would beat it and then I would be like, all right, I'm ready for the show and I wouldn't play it anymore. But then after I beat it for the first time, I was like, oh, I have to keep playing. This is so cool. Um, so that was neat. I, I really liked that part of it. And I like that I feel incentivized to keep playing because I want to unlock alternates and I want to unlock new character classes because I want to see what they can do. And I want to try out those different builds. And as soon as a game wants me tinkering with strategic builds and actually manages to engage me with those ideas that's when you know you have a good game like that that's why people love hades so much is because it it ties that narrative richness with the the sort of tactical richness of the different builds right and i think what star renegades does it has this super tactically rich combat and this super strategically rich metagame of building up your party over time that's that's what's going to suck people in here yeah the the like your characters don't have all that much customizability. Uh, like you can get the items and maybe shift around the formation somewhat, but because it's a party-based game of three to five different characters, you can decide, oh, you know, I'm going with the empath this game and that will adjust my capabilities in all these ways because she's got like a super fast, but not like terribly damaging attack, but also a whole bunch of supplemental health and uh, speed bonuses. She, and she like, starts with an aura. So like, for instance, one thing, one example of what a tactical choice like that at the outset might look like is like you get rid of Star Lord with his like ultra powerful, like does very little damage, but pushes people off the board, like you were saying earlier and get uh, the empath on there instead. And what she has is an aura that just makes everybody a little bit faster on every yeah. action for uh, by 10 uh, seconds, I think is what it is at the start. Yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, you you're having the characters, uh, which characters you pick is, you know, kind of like Darkest Dungeon. This is the choice that really determines the customizability and, you know, the personality of each run that you do. Um, and the, the characters are pretty different. I think they could go a little bit wilder. And I hope that they do that with the uh, characters they plan on expanding with. Um uh, the big thing that I noticed in their roadmap for the game ahead that uh, excited me was more planets because it's the same mm, three planets yeah. every time and then a big mothership. With like and, the exact uh, same boss at the end of each one, I think, unless yes. that opens up later. Maybe John knows. Uh, as far as I know, it's the same three behemoth creatures at the end of each uh, each planet, which feels like a 
it's like a check to make sure that you can play the game right is what like each of them is the first one the first behemoth you learn to make sure that you can knock the enemy all the way off the second behemoth you learn that sometimes you just have to be able to take hits and the third behemoth if you didn't learn how damage types work fuck you (laughs) (laughs) that second behemoth is a motherfucker (laughs) i got disassembled by that thing the first time through the game and i was like huh okay i guess i gotta build everything towards killing that Uh uh-huh yeah um that third behemoth is the one that taught me that um using aegis's uh Guard all is not a good option when there's an AoE <laughs> attack coming in. Mm. <laughs> sort yeah. of, sort of, just like you know, uh, drops a volcano on top of her instead yeah. of like your entire party, <laughs> huh? <laughs> yep. Cool. That's fun. <laughs> you know, they would have. It was one of those like last ditch. Like, well, you're gonna die, but th- I'll get another turn out of it. Mm. That other turn didn't matter. It of wasn't course. enough. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yeah, so uh, to go with the enemy types and to get back to our, our slight complaints about the nemesis system here, I think there's there's a lot that could be done to buff that up. The idea is right, but the implementation is uh, pretty weak. I'm uh, not even sure how you get information. When does that yeah, uncover? I know it yeah, happens. Yeah, and it's like you get one piece of information for the bottom one, but you don't get the whole amount of information. And then like, maybe they get stronger, but it never seems to actually matter. Right. They don't really seem to change their appearance all that much, which is one of the big things in uh, shadow of Mordor and shadow of war was that like when those orcs killed you, they like got like bigger armor and like this sort of personality. They got like determined how they played and you had to fight them like you could have them turn into like super heavy armored guys that you could only damage in one way these are just like all kind of the same only slightly buffed version of existing enemies yeah that's that's my chief problem with the nemesis system is here in here is that like at the beginning of every new area that you enter it warps in a bunch of the nemeses onto the map and i never once have been able in uh all my time with the game been able to like distinguish any of the nemeses from one another like they're just like okay these are just these are just elite enemies my brain just files that away as under like okay this will be a stronger fight so yes. do that one last and, and or, instead of doing it first or do it early and get the item they have and sure through the other thing like yeah you you could make these decisions on the on the map um which is i don't know if there's too much to say about it but there are some little interesting how you go through the map efficiently decisions mm. as well totally right it's i not do a, think i do wish boring. i do wish it was a little easier to to see paths Kind of wish yeah. I had like an over overhead map sometimes totally. because there's a, a bit of layering that goes on that makes it hard to uh, notice like, oh, I thought this would connect and it turns out it doesn't. Um, yeah. But it is it is really neat. The like kind of like, OK, you've got three uh, per day, three charges, um, charges to like breach through uh, this enemy uh, shield that will that you pass into a new section. And it's basically making the choice like up a slay the spire tree, essentially, mm, if you were to like, right. draw it from above almost. And I really wish um, that I had that tree available to me. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. totally. Like if there was <laughs> a, if I could just press the back button and it would just show me like a here's just a raw hex grid of your pads that are available <laughs> uh-huh. and the ones that are going to close because the enemies are also closing down um, pads each day. So it's like, well, if I go in 
bust up this enemy. I don't want the thing that they drop, but it'll open up a path later on. If I could just see that it, again, it's like 99% of my problems with this game just boiled down to if I could just see that this would be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Cause the system itself is really interesting. Like, yeah, making like going through and picking those paths and picking like when choosing what, um, what, uh, territory to seed and just be like whatever y'all can lock that down i don't care i'm gonna go this way and uh like what upgrades are worth chasing down and which enemies you take in which order is really great uh there's just a little bit of frustration in like the way that you the way that you move between those zones is like picking us like clicking on a single point um that is sometimes kind of hard to see depending on the level that is like the like transition point between two two zones and you kind of have to like uh, you know, move the screen around to look through and see all where all the transition points just to get a sense of how different how the different paths kind of go together and there's no mm-hmm. like overview way to see it all. So it's really interesting to hear you say that because uh, I played this game from a couch with a gamepad and it's mm. a completely different experience where you manually control where the characters move and you press a button to move from zone to zone yeah. or interact with stuff. And I moved to the computer to finish a fight one time and I hated the interface and the controls <laughs> on the computer so much. Yeah, I just despised it. It's, but I, I had zero problem with the game. I mean, it was it's a little clunky in places and there's a lot of button pressing to mm-hmm. move around and select different stuff and see where abilities are. But being able to like use a trick, uh, a, a shoulder button or a trigger to just like zoom in on an enemy and see what its abilities are is so much better than the computer implementation. So, oh, yeah, people who are That's, interested yeah. in this game or if you've enjoyed it yet, but have not used a gamepad with it, just plug in a gamepad. It will yeah. make your life better. That's how I'm there playing we- on the PC monitor. Like, I'm not from a couch, but I am using a gamepad. There we go. 3MA is recommending that you play strategy <laughs> games with controllers <laughs> instead of mice. Oh, my God. This can't be the first time we've done that. We must have said something similar about XCOM. Like, I, listen, I, Halo Wars 2 is a surprisingly great oh, okay. strategy game. <laughs> All units. It's a very elegant solution. Uh. <laughs> Local I don't actually units. know that we have uh, we have like controller types on the XCOM shows. Mm. I don't I don't I think everyone was mouse and keyboard or nobody actually cared to talk about that. <laughs> nobody, nobody wanted to reveal their shame about <laughs> yes. how they handle it. <laughs> I think well, now that I have my controller ready because I've been playing Hades. I may try that on this. Yeah, I completely. Uh, yeah, I'm going to check it out for sure. It's just much better. Yep. For me, it's mostly uh trying to keep in my head uh kind of moving forward like going all the way to the opposite end of the map and trying to like work backwards to like what my options are as far as uh the different points to go to um and that can be a little little messy the bigger that the maps get it it can also get just a little tedious because it'll be like literally i've carved a big c shape on this map and there's no button as far as I can tell, maybe maybe I'm just missing it. I don't think there's a button to just fast travel. Not that it takes super long, but it's long enough a lot of the times where it's just like, well, I've carved this big C. Now I want to I've, I've got the upgrade I want over here. Now I have to go get the, the weapon loot drop down over at the bottom before the day is over. So I just have to, like, walk these characters all the way back. Or the more egregious thing that I think it does sometimes is when it's nighttime and it's time to camp, it will randomly spawn loot across all the zones that you have yeah. done. 
game and it just wants you to go back to all of these areas just to go click a once to pick up like one point of experience to pick up one like coin for your uh, shop later on and just like just give me that stuff just like say here's your take for the day well i will say that that's like a module for the center character robot and you can get rid of it later and you don't have to do that anymore ah okay that i didn't realize yeah there there are a couple other unlocks for him there is there are so many systems happening in this game that it's sometimes hard to even realize they all exist. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's also this meta game of progression where you get in addition to unlocking characters by making them smooch. Uh, <laughs> you can you also like are unlocking weapons that show up more often when you unlock them. And yeah. also like you can take one of them with you and you're also getting like certain different uh uh like packages of um i don't know little buffs that each character class has yeah uh i think everybody starts with a buff where it's like anytime you use a camping card you always get bonus uh relationship points and then later on it's like well now you always act five seconds earlier with every move or, or something like that yeah, and that that because that gets unlocked via a like overall experience thing, and then you also earn points just from killing enemies, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, the, and so there's like a kind of home base map thing that you go and you spend these points in order to like have your star renegades be slightly stronger next time. Except that there's a lot going on on that. And like when uh-huh. I started my new game for the first time after a few weeks, I was just like, eh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, lo- I logged in right before this again and uh, died on the second fight. Cause I went to go fight uh, one of the nemesis people and was just not prepared and then got suddenly, but apparently because I had played so long previously, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, I had accrued so much XP in that run that I finished the, off this fight, died, and then it's just like got six levels and all of the upgrades associated with those levels. And I was just like, I already didn't know what I already had. And now the game just like <laughs> threw fucking 20 new things at me and I'm just completely lost. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's it, a game that tends to require attention and like letting yourself off that even for a day or two is difficult. I definitely agree with that. And I think that's not the kind of game that's easy to come back to after you leave. But it is. In many ways, I think I'm talking myself into liking this game more over the course of this podcast, Mm. but. (laughs) In many ways, it is a strong game because there's so many weird options, but also and this is usually a hallmark of bad game design, and it's a special thing here that I'm not calling out as a hallmark of bad game design. There are just (laughs) systems you can kind of ignore or engage with as as much as you want and you can still succeed and some of those are those like meta progression systems whereas in a game like right slay the spire or hades that meta progression can be a bit of a poison in the game that forces you to stay longer and do more in order to actually succeed and see what the game has to offer star renegades yeah. doesn't seem to care if you beat it on the 12th try or you beat it on the second try the, yeah, one, uh, the one place where I would say that it kind of cares is that um, 
I feel myself burning out on the game and especially because of how long the runs take uh, not to just keep comparing. This is going to be a theme throughout this year, I think, not to just keep comparing (laughs) this game to Hades. But um, Hades is a game where like a a mediocre run is like 35 minutes or something like that, you know, just give or take. And in this game uh, runs just go and go and go and go and go and go and even like sometimes intentionally i tried to intentionally lose on my like third run back when the game came out it it took a while because my characters would just tank the hits enough um because characters uh, the bosses in particular are so beefy that the fights can take so long and you have to have your brain turned on throughout the entire time because there it's not a game where you can just be like oh this is a mob fight i'm gonna hit l1 and it's gonna do auto battle and it's just gonna auto attack until i win because i know i'm gonna to win this fight it's like no every there is no basic attack for any character every move is a different kind of thing with a different stats and attributes associated with it so you not only are all the runs super long but they're also super uh draining in a lot of different ways and it can be easy if you don't beat it in the first few runs and don't start to see some of the more uh complexity that the, the game is hiding behind later planets and behind um beating the uh the run for the first time it's easy to burn out because you think you've seen it all yeah, to me, a- it almost feels like the meta systems are were put in place because they wanted to have a difficult game that you would try over and over again, rather than a thing where you're gonna die quickly and get back into it. The way Haiti, like the kind of like two a- ends of the spectrum of like, uh, you know, rogue lights. Basically, yeah. there's the like you're gonna die quickly and you're gonna get back into it, and there'll be new things each time. But that happens at a rapid pace. Versus the like this is gonna be a long run, uh, and then there's like rewards because it's so long that we don't want you to burn out. But I think this one kind of is maybe tilted a little too far in the in how long the runs take. I think for my taste, I at think least. That that- um, that too far is going to be super relative for some people. I think people who are mm-hmm. more tilted towards the the JRPG or grand strategy end of gaming are going to be like, yeah, this is sweet. These two hour runs are like super bite sized compared to what I usually play. <laughs> Whereas people who are more tilted towards like modern action and a lot of other roguelikes are going to be like, oh, I wish death upon myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, there's uh, also the thing that be, like when your characters aren't doing that well. Uh, right. The fights right. are going to start taking longer and it's going to drag out. Like if you have too defensive a party and then you get to a boss and it's just like, oh, my God, will something happen to break <laughs> this uh, stalemate or I'm just going to like keep punching him for 15 damage for like 20 turns until his armor goes down to a point where I can actually uh, hit him. Some some of those bosses will have 35 armor and you're just literally doing zero damage until you chip it. The fucking behemoth. I just (laughs) I just fought this. So I remember it had like 130 armor. Yes, it gets higher. Those numbers become higher. Oh, God. I'll admit the uh, one time I had a really terrible party, I just threw them to their deaths. I was like, nah, I'm doing this for three hours. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah, because the, the I mean, I don't think we ever mentioned it, but like the kind of the the attrition of this game is that your characters have health and shields, um, bringing it back to Halo Wars and the <laughs> shields recharge between fights and the health does not um, not normally. Right. There are ways to raise it and then armor can be even more valuable because armor you can usually only repair at very specific situations, um, but enemies can use moves that will chip away at that armor, too. Um, so it makes it a very also, important thing. 
Yeah, also, so in case you were wondering, there were systems we forgot to mention. <laughs> right, so. right, armor and shields and also, yeah, also it. the way to get a game over is not just, it, like, you have to lose your entire party in, in combat. Because yeah. if only one or two go down after you finish the fight, they're back up with, like, one HP, one HP. but full shields. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they will be, be tanking hits, even if you're intentionally trying uh-huh. to lose. You might have a character right. who has super high shields, but got killed by uh, armor piercing or, or not armor piercing, shield piercing attacks that just go through that shit. And they will just be like, all right, I'm just like, I want you to go down. Just please go down. <laughs> oh, no, no, I need to unequip Is- the the shield regen item that I put on you and forgot about. Is there an abandon button that I'm missing? Because it should have one if it doesn't. I'm not sure that I yeah. ever actually needed it, but I feel like it would be useful for that that situation. Yeah, yeah. We're we're baby talking shit where there is an easy. There option. might be. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, take that with a grain of salt, listeners. There might be, but also like some of the times it's just like I'm in a battle and I don't. My instinct is not to like try to quit out of a battle. I'm just stuck in this battle for the next, right. you know, 15 minutes yeah. while my characters get chipped away, even though they're they're not going to win the run, certainly, and probably not going to win this battle. Um, be- because it is so chippy in that way and can can often be very chippy, it can take a long time for you to realize that you are in a death spiral. I think is maybe yeah. is maybe even more right. so than the length of the runs themselves. It can just be a situation where it's like in ha- again in Hades, if you don't have a good build, you're gonna realize really quick because you're gonna die. <laughs> It'll be over yeah. and you'll you'll restart and you're like, oh well, I don't want to mix those two boons. And this one, it's like if you're if you have a bad build, you might just be fighting that um, that chimera for a half an hour and just be and yeah. it's just like, oh no shit, I I should have quit out thirty minutes Oof. ago because I was going to lose all along. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and there's another issue with this where um, you start with a party of three characters and you get up to a party of five characters by adding a character at the end of the first and second planet. And it gives you two of the characters you've unlocked to pick from at random. And those characters may not be what you want. They may have they may completely overlap with the ones that you have in a way that makes your party significantly worse the big thing that i noticed and i'm not sure if this was a bug or intentional or something is that i never got fucking frontliners ever Hmm. on the are you who's the next character you pick and it's like it seems pretty easy to pick okay i'm going one frontliner and two backliners at the start and now i have two backliners to add through the game so i have someone who's incredibly weak on my front lines (sighs) when the game starts getting hard yeah because you can only have three per line right yes uh, so like the, that's just a random number thing that I don't, I don't know if I had something weird going on with my game or what, or I just need to start taking two frontliners with me. But, but yeah, there should, should have been a thing in the game that like says offer up multiple characters from each like little set or create those sets, even if you don't want to, uh, because it is fairly obvious what characters should be. And uh, as John said, there might be ways to work around that if you find the right items. But totally. Yeah. It, in it's general, like, yeah, in general, like every character seems to clearly go on the front line or the back line. And sometimes yeah, I just only got backliners. It's very much a game where sometimes the way the random numbers shake out, you're just like, oh, I kind of got screwed, which hurts on a, a game with a long playtime like this for an individual round of it. 
And I didn't personally have that experience, but it it's disheartening to hear you all say that. That's really too bad. Maybe it's something that gets better over time. Maybe not. I, I don't like that. It is one of those games where I always felt forced. If there was something that I felt like was an interesting choice and then the opposite choice was something that was actually a like necessary choice. It felt like the safe and smart choice. Mm. You felt compelled to make that safe and smart choice. You never really felt safe taking a weird risk, which is a fun thing in roguelikes that you get to do. What do you have an example of this? Uh, things, especially like character choice, right? Like the a recent run I played, I had one solid frontliner. I had the Aegis and I was afraid I wouldn't see another frontliner come up. So I took, uh, I think, the mm-hmm. Valkyrie, right? I took a different frontliner because I was like, well, I'll be screwed if I don't have two frontliners by the end. So I have to take yeah. this character. Uh, and yeah. and therefore, I didn't get to try out an interesting new character that I'd never seen before. Right. Which, I mean, that it actually does kind of speak to, I think, it's such a hard thing to say with any certainty because I appreciate that this is a game that just came out and is also continuing to be supported. I, I assume it was successful if they were putting out roadmaps for new stuff that they want to add in. Um, but it feels like a game that would have benefited very, very greatly from early access because these seem like the exact sort of things that were ironed out uh, as somebody who played Hades when it came out uh, into early access two years ago, like the same night it came out. Um, th- it reminds me immediately of when you would get Daedalus hammers, which like upgrades for your weapons. And it would just, I would always go for the, whatever Daedalus hammer reduced enemy armor faster because armor was just like the thing that like really screwed you over in that game. And they polished it out to a certain point where, um, you know, armor wasn't as, uh, devastating as it was originally or where you would have like oh if i'm attacking faster then i don't need to worry about if they have an armor layer um and that is the exact sort of situation of like an interesting choice versus a necessary choice that could have been done here it's also a thing that i think you know to bring it back to another game we were comparing it to that darkest dungeon got way better about over time with like remember when like darkest dungeon was in early access and also came out like and still is to a certain degree in the early game of that game. But the Vestal in the same way that the Aegis is basically a necessary character. The Vestal is just a necessary character in early Darkest Dungeon, you know? Yeah, I I, uh, yeah. I agree with you, Wit, and I won't I won't get on and start grinding my axe against early access at this exact moment. But I I, <laughs> it, I do it's like a bad this, month for that. I do like that this I've, game released and I do like that it feels like a complete game that I got to play totally that came yeah. out of nowhere that I haven't been hearing about for years like that just feels really good. <laughs> uh, I think it might be worth uh, mentioning the this developer's previous game, which was Halcyon 6, which I don't think we did a show on, although we might have discussed it on our uh, tac- tactical management show. Uh, but that was a game that was like very much trying to be kind of a like goofy spaceship XCOM and like right down to having you building the base in almost exactly the same way. Hmm. And uh, it just there were a lot of ideas there that didn't quite come together. And like if if you all uh, go back and check that out, you will see a lot of like Star Renegade's DNA in that. But like it's fairly clear that they kind of saw we were maybe a little over ambitious with this. We maybe should, you know, 
focus on the core aspect that we really wanted to be good, which is the tactical combat, and then kind of build out from there. And I think that's a thing that uh, uh, really makes Star Renegades a, you know, a game well worth doing a full show on compared to uh, Halcyon 6, which was like, it was close to there, but it was not quite there. Mm. Yeah. Makes it a game I'm happy to recommend rather than a, a game I'm like, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I uh, I came into this uh, episode. Well, specifically when Rowan asked me to be on this episode, I was like, all right, let's go. I'm ready to tear this game apart. And um, I have found myself now um, having some distance with it and also seeing the actual fruits of some of their their updates. Um, like in the, I was reading the patch notes uh, from the update that came out three days ago. And one of the patch notes in here is just literally like, hey, we made it so that when you block, it shows on the timeline how much the block is going to reduce because previously it just didn't show that i guess um and knowing oh, that wow. that's sort of stuff is a getting fixed and b will continue hopefully to, to get fixed like is interesting i do think it has the net like kind of the same net um uh, uh effect as <laughs> launching into early access which is that my brain is just like well, I'm just going to wait for four patches from now. <laughs> like, I'll wait for um, whatever right. their fall update is that adds the new character and stuff like that, because that feels like it'll be a meaty one. Um, and it, so I, while I appreciate that it came out without the early access element to it, um, I still do feel like it is slightly again, um, especially now hearing um, you and Rowan and you, uh, John, talk about it uh, uh kind of much more positively than I think I came into this episode uh, talking about it. Uh, it is a game that I'm much more willing to give that time and think about and come back to eventually. It, but it's also just one that just like, I don't know that I want to keep playing it right now. Yeah, that's that's sort of where I like. I mean, I put in a good 30, 40 hours on oh, it wow. and then switched over to Haiti. I mean, that might be a little strong for how much I actually played it. I left it on the background mm. quite a bit, mm. but uh yeah, uh, and then I switched over to Hades, and Hades just blows everything else away right now. But uh, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough out there to be a video game a busy, in 2020. That is yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's and I think, I think ultimately, for as much gripes as I have about it, it's like I still really enjoy the like core mechanics, right? Like the yeah. core like combat when it works is works really well, and I think that kind of makes all of these small issues uh amplify a bit it's just like oh this bit is so great if only everything else was as great as this bit right mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah like, and, like if we're talking about how we need some more information on like the complex systems that you get to realize exist on the third planet in your fifth run uh that's a good sign for how much the stuff that we're not talking about in the first parts of the game is right uh it's it's not putting up that friction with early parts of the game right uh totally so speak speaking of the combat unless we have more to say specifically on star renegades alone i don't think right. so uh, yeah i don't think so hmm. yeah it's this is this is i think one of the more interesting strategy games of the year and it sounds like most of us agree that and interesting is a complicated word uh, so. <laughs> yeah yeah i think yeah. if you are interested in a the the confluence of strategy and role-playing games especially the sort of underserved genre of the non-western role-playing game i don't know what we're calling them anymore i hate genres uh <laughs> I, I think we can say this is jrpg style like the, right. the sort of uh left to right combat uh 
it, it has that has that feel to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, if if we're if we're looking at the confluence of strategy with the JRPG, this is a great example of how this territory is so deeply unexplored and there's a lot of cool game yeah. design still to be done. I am I am begging Western developers to get out there and start playing Etrian Odyssey. Please, please yeah, start incorporating that, stuff like this into more games. Yeah, Western developers, you need to more, make more games inspired by wizardry. Yes, totally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I discussed this with Steven and, uh, a little bit with the other two here, but like one of the things that I think is really interesting about this game is the way that it uses this deterministic combat and kind of creates a trend and in... Uh, Steven's piece on Fanbyte, they talked about, you know, how it came with Into the Breach and a couple other games and like going over the history of kind of where this came from. I don't, I, I'm a, I'm a history person. This is what I love to do. Uh, I want to just talk about like, how, how did this game come about? Where did its DNA come from? And uh, yeah, did you want to start? Cause I think we basically had the same idea, Steven. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, earlier on in this very episode, we we definitely mentioned Into the Breach, which I think like put a such a fine visible bow on this style of deterministic con- uh, combat that you just cannot deny. I think that is probably for a lot of people the jumping off point. Um, I think we've seen other games even this year and games that are still upcoming um, following this exact same trend. Um, I don't know if you guys did an episode on it, but Other Side came out a little bit earlier this year. Um, very, yes. very similar stuff in there. Yes, Liana loved that, and I got distracted as I was starting to play it. But we might we might get back to it for an end of the year podcast, or maybe if they release an expansion. But yeah, it's uh, it definitely seemed to fall into that that category. Totally. Um, and uh, there's another game coming out from the uh, Crypt of the Necro Dancer people, I want to say, um, called Phantom Brigade, which also does a very very similar thing. Um, yeah. th- I'm really excited about. I, I played a little bit of that at PAX uh, right before we all got locked inside. Uh, it was one of the last games I got to see out in the real world, so it's maybe locked in my brain as a result. But it's doing a lot of this stuff, but mixing it with um, positioning and where it'll be like you'll. It's a mech combat tactical strategy game where you are um, basically like I'm gonna. I know I can see 30 seconds into the future, or not even that much, like five seconds into the future, and there's a a tank is going to fire a shell in this direction. So I want need my mech to in at the five seconds from now mark to not be standing there because that's where that shell is going to travel, and then time is going to freeze again, and then I get to make my moves. Um, Frozen Synapse uh, did a lot of this stuff as well. For me, though, the Uh, oh sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to quickly shout out before while we're throwing out games that have recently come out uh that also did this uh tenderfoot tactics is something that i think everyone should check out right yeah uh also has you know timeline and um you know you can see all the you you don't see the enemy attacks but you see all their available attacks and it's usually only one or two things that they can do anyway so it's like not that big of a deal that you don't know exactly which one you can guess which one but everything else kind of fits in this in this mold sure yeah And that even seems a lot uh, along the lines of kind of what I was going to bring up next, which is to me one of the first times that um, I thought about something close to deterministic combat uh, was Final Fantasy X back on the PlayStation 2 or yeah, PlayStation 2. 
And that was a game where it was like turn orders were a thing and you didn't see exactly what anybody was going to do as much like tenderfoot tactics. But it was it was the moment it was a a watershed moment for um, Final Fantasy games. It was just like those games started to become very popular. PlayStation 2 was obviously a, a massively mainstream success in video games, but also it was a time where it's like, well, uh, I was thinking about things like I need to kill this enemy now because I have two guys who can all take turns. And if I just use it to uh, beat this guy, then I get three guys in a row who get to take turns. And now even Chimera Squad, uh, XCOM Chimera Squad is is taking those same elements. So we're seeing those things bleed over from uh, more traditional JRPG style games into the tactical space um, just more and more and more like it seems like the kind of uh uh mechanic du jour right now uh but maybe maybe other people disagree well i think that uh yeah final fantasy 10 was i i we we both arrived at this conclusion independently uh but that was in addition to be moving through time and knowing whose turn was up uh, there are a couple other things that make it kind of a, a launching point here. Mm. The first is that, like, this was Final this was Final Fantasy going back to turn based for the first time since basically it, it's Stone Age on the on the NES, and <laughs> it did so by successfully by making the turns go really quickly. Like it still felt like a really good fast paced game to play it was just fully turn based instead of the kind of pseudo turn based that uh previous final fantasies had had so a lot of it is getting the animation right getting the pacing right getting the feel of taking your turn and having that be like feel significant to you um and then the other part is like mechanically in terms of what actually occurs in the game uh it's not just having that timeline and knowing that the things are happening, but it's also, and this I think gives us, uh, shows where the JRPGs kind of go along with it. It's also increasingly games got to the point where it wasn't just, I go into a random combat and I press attack over and over. They wanted to increase the amount of choice and have each attack be interesting or each yeah. decision that you make mm -hmm. be interesting. So in Final Fantasy X, you had a couple situations where you wanted to use every character in your party uh, because they got more experience that way. And each character could do specific things that other characters couldn't do. So only Lulu could use her magic spells that would blast through things. So you'd pull Lulu in when you needed the magic spell. Only Waka could throw things in the air and do more damage to air enemies. Like these were uh, considerations that you made. So now every turn is not, I am just pressing attack. It's how do I attack in order to uh, make each turn be its own interesting thing. And um, I think one of the big uh, uh, genealogical points here is when uh, Zeboid or Zeboid, I don't know, uh, started making their like pseudo JRPGs. Uh, the big one that I played a lot of was their uh, fantasy star wannabe uh, star heroine. Cosmic, like, Cosmic star, star heroine. heroine. Yes, uh, that didn't have like the deterministic aspect of these, but it had every character that you have a turn with has a choice that he or she has to make in terms of which of my like five options that I have is the one that will get me the most out of this. 
instead of just mindlessly pressing attack. And like they, they had timers set on them so you could do like the really good attack once every three turns. But then enemies had like a timer on them so that you knew that you wanted to have that time lined up when the enemy would be weaker and then another character would have a timer in order to buff you uh, so you could like do double damage with your attack that was already by far the most powerful. Um, so that idea of specifically Western made JRPG style combat uh, through their games, I think is uh, one of the key pieces of building that out. And then into the breach brings in the tactical movement aspect of it. And uh, I'll let someone else talk about any of that that they want to, because my voice is starting to hurt. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that it's a really broad field of design and there's going to be a lot of interesting cross pollination with games like into the breach with the tabletop game space where, designers yeah, I, in the I, last six or seven years have started to really understand what deterministic combat looks like. Yeah. I, I did want to ask you specifically about that since that is one of your areas of expertise. And like we are seeing tactical games being designed like XCOM was designed initially on a, as a board game that John Solomon was playing. And then, you know, I mean, they once it didn't design it to be a board game, but he used a board game as a prototype. Yeah. Yeah. They prototype uh, the whole system in paper, and that's why it's so immediately apprehensible and simple enough to to huh. just play. I don't um, think I knew that. It's a fat fun fact. XCOM <laughs> was uh, 2012 XCOM was prototyped as a board game. Huh. Wow. Um, that's why all the damage numbers are nice, small numbers that you can immediately understand in the first place. Right. right. Yeah. Um, not, right. not like yeah. Star Renegades. <laughs> not like Star Renegades at all. But the the tabletop space is trying to figure out how to make this stuff work in really constrained ways, right? Because a single person has to be able to look at it and do it all. And it needs to be a person of any intelligence who might buy the game. And so that that's like, you know, the ultimate hardware limitation, if you will, uh, a human <laughs> being has to be able to, like, I, <laughs> I have to be able to sit down and be like, how do I math? Right. Like that is a yeah. serious problem yeah. for a tabletop designer who has to have me as a player. That, that is, kind is of... a, a sincere and really fascinating design space. And the place where I think tabletop designers are hitting it out of the park is in the co-op space where we used to have all these dungeon crawling games where someone had to be the bad guys. Someone had to play the enemies. Yeah. Or the game just wasn't tactical and the enemies had a flat thing that they did every turn and there was no like miniature movement or anything like that. Right. Whereas now in the tabletop space, we're starting to see these really complex games with these decks of enemy cards and behaviors for uh, enemies in a tactical three-dimensional combat space. And that stuff is really cool. And I want to see that stuff come into video games. And I think we will sometime soon. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was I mean, just going to say, and this is maybe a, a topic for its own episode of a thing sometime, but yeah. like, it's really interesting to see um, so much interesting stuff happening in now that you brought up the XCOM anecdote, so much interesting stuff happening in RP, or RPGs and in tactical games and in the intersection between them, as we're also seeing a massive rise in popularity in the board game scene, right? Like board games are probably more popular now than they ever were. I think I think we, it's fallen off a little bit from the like initial huge boom that we had not too long ago. But like Dungeons and Dragons 5e, for instance, is the uh, like it has sold more copies than any other version of uh, Dungeons and Dragons put together, like all the previous editions, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, and 
we're seeing a lot of that stuff kind of come up at the same time and be like make that language available to people. And then also designers just looking for ways to um, make the language, like force the language to be recognizable to people um, in this sort of cross pollinating kind of way. And uh, I love the the point about the co-op games and stuff, too, because that's that's deck building games. That's that's where Slay the Spire ends up becoming uh, one of the biggest kind of um, games of the modern sort of roguelike resurgence is uh that comes out of uh dominion i believe is a is a deck building game i played it uh okay it is okay (laughs) let my touchstone (laughs) is legendary because i'm a huge marvel nerd uh so i played marvel legendary a whole bunch where it'd be like ah magneto is enacting a plan and the game basically has this rudimentary manual ai where every turn the the card of magneto is moving down a board and if you flip over onto a random card it's like magneto has found a nuclear weapon or whatever and that changes the game but nobody has to be the bad guy like you said which when i first encountered that it felt like magic it was like oh my god like i can uh, i'm a fucking um water wheel turning the bad guy for me nobody has to be there's no there's no combative nature with my friends we're working together towards a common goal which is a lot of what uh rpgs uh and uh eastern rpgs a lot of the times um feel like you know in a more uh story sense too so some of the appeal of those games for and certainly for a lot of people uh the appeal of those games is this sense of joining together to overcome strange odds or or terrible odds either by you know through story methods of like we found a big magic crystal or in the case of something like star renegades it's like i'm getting one over on the system by by pushing these guys off a board off the timeline every single turn and that feels good i think at the end of the day one of the big things about this is it feels good to to feel like you're gaming the system yeah uh one other thing that i wanted to mention is that like i think it's going both ways it's not just like board games into video games there's like a back and forth here of uh like uh, one of the big things that i talked about is uh in terms of just like overall trends and strategy games is transparency has become a much bigger concept Mm. like it's not just things are happening under the hood and you might figure out why uh the big example i use is what civilization 4 added uh the hover over the diplomacy score and find out why people like and hate you um and then that helps lead to crusader kings and so on and that's like pulled from board games and stuff three kingdoms uh, does a lot of great stuff with that with the hold down f1 yes and also you know crusader kings is built on that and that's the most interesting and probably best game of the last decade. Uh, not to be controversial or anything. Uh, <laughs> I didn't, but I didn't also hear like controversial. Yeah, that I sounds don't. right. I've not played yeah. enough Crusader Kings to comment, so I'll just uh, sit over here. Well, you should try Crusader Kings Three. It's designed to be more accessible, and it's on Games Pass. Not that you would have any difficult getting it from Paradox PR. Oh yeah, um, I, I have it installed. I just haven't had time. I made the <laughs> I made the choice uh, for a different podcast that I'm on. Uh, one week should I play Crusader Kings or should I play Wasteland Three? And I think I made the wrong choice because I didn't play Crusader Kings. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you did. But like. <laughs> On the, yeah. on the other hand, you have things like uh, this is one I'm not sure I've actually talked about on this show, but uh, in the late 90s, uh, specifically around Diablo 2 and also um, Final Fantasy X and a few others around that time, uh, you start to see video games, video game RPGs realize that like 
playing a fighter kind of sucks. Like all you do is you press attack. Mm. Whereas wizards have like 50 different spells. So wizards can do interesting things. And if you're only playing as one character, having one who only has one particular type of attack. So you start seeing these games be like, it's not just attacking you're doing. It's, you know, the bear rush or whatever. And uh, the like melee attacks or basic attacks start being as complex as spells. And this kind of goes back and forth into like the tabletop space because a lot of those RPGs were coming out of D&D and AD&D and second edition and so on. Uh, And then you start seeing Dungeons and Dragons realize, oh, hey, maybe we should give fighters more things to do. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, that's the kind of thing that starts leading into a star renegades, you know, bouncing back and forth from with the transparency, with all these, with all these ideas, but basically every attack you're doing is not just an attack. It is, you know, the, the blitz right. that, uh, our star Lord friend has, or the, uh, flurry shot that, uh, Bentley, the commando has that does just massive <laughs> amounts of damage, but as defeatable, if, uh, the enemy has a lot of armor and so on, even the most reductive um, version of it, like the, the, uh, wind Sifex or Sifex, however, her name is supposed to be pronounced. She starts, she's kind of your closest thing to a fighter type character. And she starts with two different kinds of attack, like like physical attack. And even those have like one pushes enemies way farther back on the timeline. One is way slower, but does more damage. And if you crit, you can chew through armor. And that alone is like such a much more interesting decision than just like hit a, you know? Yeah. Uh, And I will say that there are like some negative aspects to this. Like, I have a friend who is not, like, usually a in-depth tactical type of person who played Darkest Dungeon and, like, suddenly goes and has to hover over every single potential attack that his characters have and, like, is just like, I am overwhelmed with numbers that are like, just hit the one that looks most like a regular attack, you'll be fine, but, you know, that information overwhelming or, in terms of Star Renegades, talking about... uh, how easy it is to lose track of where you are and what your rhythms and what your characters are capable of. If you just take a break for a day or three, uh, you really need to be paying full attention to this game. And sometimes you just want to play a dragon quest where you're running around, (laughs) there's a slime and you press a, a few times and then eventually characters will talk and it's cute. Yeah. So like there, there, there is a bit of an attention tax or an energy tax to these things, but you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm just sort of waxing philosophical at this point. Yeah, I mean, I love both of those kinds of games. It just kind of depends on what I'm in the mood for, you know? I'm a fan of the kind of middle ground there with the uh, Bravely Default. Oh, sure. Which is kind of in a weird way, without showing you, has a a timeline uh, sort of mechanic, right? Like you're giving up turns in order to save up for bigger and better moves later on down the timeline. But yeah. Um, I keep meaning to get back to that at some point. I've got my I pulled out my 3DS recently and at the top of my pile of games is Bravely Default. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. <sighs> I, need to I do love it. that one. Um, All right. Well, it, just play it in it time looks for the sequel. Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I got to play Bravely Second and then the, it's, oh, that's my whole I, that's I, the whole I... rest of my year. I, I hear they have repudiated <laughs> Bravely Second. And as that's the only one I played and I didn't like it, I think that's OK. Oh, OK. Uh, Wait, you yeah, played uh, Bravely Second, but not Bravely Default? I it fell in my lap. Huh. What can I do? 
hey, sometimes you're a freelancer. Wow. Sometimes you need to get paid. Sure. Sometimes right. somebody asks yeah. you, do you know anything about this? And you do not. And you say yes. So, yeah, John says that he has to go. Oh. So, and I think we are uh, we're, we, we have largely covered our star renegades and our history lesson. Uh do we have some final thoughts, John, since uh, you might have to leave imminently? Yeah, I just uh, I think that I think that Star Renegades is a I've, I said it early on the podcast. It's a fascinating lesson in game design. It's an interesting space where some people tried a lot of ideas, not all of which might work perfectly. But if you are a student of what game design is in 2020, I think this is a game you kind of owe to yourself to, to try out at least or at least watch someone else play. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Um, and there is enough that even in this year of very good games, I'm going to boot this one up again. Mm. <laughs> I think you successfully like pushed me into being more positive on this game than negative over the course of this conversation, which uh, I'm, I'm kind of grateful for because uh, I, I like good games and I like enjoying games. So I think I'm going to give this one some more time. That was that. That was all I had to really say. I feel like I talked a lot on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need to add more for people to have to listen to. No, oh, yeah. I mean, I think. Um, I think ultimately, I part partially focus on those uh, negative things because they stick out so much against the really interesting uh, everything else, right? Uh, just uh, the all the different uh kind of decisions and points they've put from like the meta map layer down through to individual turns uh i think is all really interesting and uh worth checking out yeah i mean i think this this game could be a little overwhelming there are some parts that could be not great in a lot of different ways and could use some more polish and it probably should have gotten into early access has john left yet yeah definitely <laughs> early access uh no. <laughs> um but no this is uh this is i think one of the most interesting strategy tactics games of the year and uh it is well worth checking out even if it's not quite something that you say oh this this looks like my cup of tea it it could well be then that's just kind of a thing that seems to be happening a lot lately um rowan says massive damage please do a crucible it worked for amazon um put this game out now that now that it's out uh put it back into beta and um fix it (laughs) so uh it it worked for final fantasy 14 i believe mm, uh, okay now you're speaking my life that one's a good one yeah Uh, uh no i no th- this is this is a very good game with some weird issues right now and right. i think it could become a truly great game with a with a little bit of, of work or possibly a sequel um, it's not quite and, jank but it operates almost in the same way of like mm. this is annoying but i can kind of get around it to get to the good bits you know yeah uh um, yeah it just it just feels like like and th- this maybe sounds more harsh than i even intended to it just feels like something that just could have used a lot more playtesting sure yeah sure yeah all right well we have lost john so oh. uh <laughs> okay I so will, anyway uh, fuck this game uh <laughs> yeah. i hated it so early access is by far the best thing to happen in the video game space <laughs> uh, right absolutely the collaboration right. between player and developer is important mm-hmm. for everything yes. to go through yeah uh there's, there's nothing has ever gone wrong no right uh, not once <laughs> Hades in stores now. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
All right, yeah. So let's talk about our Hades build. Okay. Uh, so I feel like uh, uh, I feel like uh, uh, Aphrodite is a little bit uh, underappreciated because you you know you get a lot of different good duo. Eventually, you get a lot of good duo boons with her later on. She kind of starts as kind of a slow mm. early game, but then once you get into the end game, I think like they stack really well. Even though they don't, you know, you, you just don't want to get hit. Well, hey, here's, here's the tip: you're gonna get hit. So well, you know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. I, I actually did have a run that kind of just involved me standing behind rocks, chipping down enemies, <laughs> very much like wow. Star Renegades. And I hated it and I won. Wow. I was like, wow. It was like 45 minutes. I, I would, thought I was I thought I was doomed the entire time. And I just like, fuck, fucking bow. So the bow is the Star Renegades of Hades. Um, there we go. That's it. Uh, yeah, that, we'll we'll end on that. Uh, for for our missing John, for Stephen, for Kato, this is Rowan Kaiser. Uh, you have been listening to Three Moves Ahead, which is supported by listeners like you on Patreon.com/slash3ma. Uh, you could learn how to join our super secret Discord, and perhaps even play some Europa Universalis or Crusader Kings with us if you really want to uh, get wild. Ooh. Um, Ooh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You should, uh, you should help us. Uh, this episode will probably be, uh, produced by Liana Hafer. I do not have that confirmed, but I believe that she's the only one producing right now. So, uh, <laughs> for everyone, have a good night.